Hello everyone, happy 2024, happy new year, welcome back to Morgan Hasn't Seen, or of course if you are tuning in to the show for the first time, welcome first and foremost to Morgan Hasn't Seen, maybe you're not returning, maybe this is your first time, maybe you've thought, let's check out a new podcast in the new year, and you've chosen us, so we love you, you're the best. Welcome. It's going to be fun because we're starting a new series. Of course, we are on Morgan Hasn't Seen. It might take a little week's break next week because, you know, if you if you look at the title and you check the episode number of this show, you know, we, we have a bit of a milestone next week on Morgan Hasn't Seen. So uh, all will be explained shortly. All will be explained, but it is exciting. It is a brand new series. It is a brand new year. On all things, it's a wonderful podcast. We're very excited for all the fun things we are going to be doing in 2024, bringing things back, starting a little uh, differences of new things that didn't make any sense, but you understand what I'm saying. Janine, the new series, the movie we are talking about today is a very interesting one. It comes from that mid-90s romance era that is frequented on Morgan Hasn't Seen. But this series is a very interesting one. It it will take over both shows. Let's uh, Let's explain how you came up with this one. All right. Well, you know, I'm really proud of the shows we do on this channel. Um, This show, we typically talk, you know, post-80s forward kind of movies. And on our main show, we talk classic films. So pre-80s films. It just kind of works out that way on this show. Um, So I kind of wanted to find a way to connect those two worlds of both of our shows in a really creative way. Um, you know, our our series on Morgan hasn't seen vary from a talking a specific actor or a specific franchise. But sometimes I like to get a little creative with the series ideas. So this was one of those ideas that I was really excited about. So um, this series that we're going to be doing in January for the new year is a old Hollywood meets new. So on Morgan hasn't seen, we're going to be talking movies starring classic film actors from the classic Hollywood era, um, but them in their older years in a more modern film. Uh, And to connect that to the main show, It's a Wonderful Podcast, we're going to be talking a classic film from that actor in their heyday era. So uh, it's going to be a really fun way to see these actors in their later careers when they're older, and then go back and take a look at them when they were younger and at the height of their career. Yes, and highlighting this first week of January is Miss Lauren Bacall, someone we yes. have, you know, we, we, we've we've spoke about quite a bit, actually, in the last year on the main show, uh, her and Bogart in those movies, those four movies they did. I feel like we did three of them last year yeah. on uh, on the main show. So, you know, she's been... She she's frequented the main show in recent times, which is is very nice, of course. But she will be highlighting this week. Today we're talking. The mirror has two faces. 
from 1996. Barbara Streisand directs and stars in this movie. Jeff Bridges alongside her and Lauren Bacall is is playing Barbara Streisand's mother yeah. in the the key supporting role of the movie. Um, and she's, I mean, she's really very good in this movie. Yes, this is I obviously mean... the mid nineties. Um, on Friday, on the main show, the old Hollywood, the old movie show, uh, our our main show, of course, where we celebrate old movies. We, we show love to them. We discover new old movies. We'll be talking How to Marry a Millionaire from 1953 with, with Marilyn Monroe and, uh, and Lauren Bacall. And, oh, my God, who's the other one? Is it Betty Grable? Yes. I think yes. it is. Um, yes, with the three of those in there so it's going to be very fun you know we're, we're going to take it performer by performer actor by actor throughout uh january and have a lot of fun with it but the mirror has two faces why was this one chosen i mean obviously it was chosen because it's an older lauren bacall movie but did you have any sort of particular connection to this movie um, well, you know, I am a rom-com girly. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie, female-directed, uh, Barbara Streisand just being a powerhouse in, in that vein. And, you know, in doing the Classic Films podcast, you know, uh, I was kind of new to Classic Films coming into doing that show and becoming a co-host on that show. And so it has opened up this new world to me. So in seeing this movie really before ever seeing anything Lauren Bacall did, um, I, I was fascinated by that because I knew her to be this big name of the era. So to, to be kind of introduced to her in her later years in this film and really enjoying her in this really got me excited to eventually one day see her, you know, in her kind of heyday years of, of, of old Hollywood. Uh, so I, I was fascinated by her being in this film in her older age, um, just generally when I first saw this movie. And it's just a great rom-com with a really interesting premise. Because I think, you know, most rom-coms, particularly of this era, all kind of have the same kind of story. But this, uh, going about this, I think, um, really played into what I think society was telling Barbara Streisand about herself, you know, people telling her to get a nose job and that she wasn't conventionally beautiful and all of those things. So for her as a director to kind of take what has probably been something that has been, has plagued her her whole career and turn that into the premise of this film, I thought was really smart. And just Lauren Bacall was great in this film generally as a supporting character. Um, I was looking at how many nominations she got from so many different awards. She won the Golden Globe for this. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for the Academy Award. Uh, she was nominated for Comedy Awards. And, and you know, before seeing her in classic films, I, I, generally just knew her to be more of a dramatic actress in in that vein so to see her you know be nominated for comedy awards and and be very good comedically was also really fun um which was also great to then watch the movie that we're going to be talking about on Friday's show, uh, How to Marry a Millionaire, because the films that we've since talked uh, on that main show that Lauren Bacall has starred in 
have all been, you know, very dramatic, serious films. But to watch How to Marry a Millionaire and see her actually play into comedy a little bit, and then seeing her here in this modern movie excelling at comedy was was really interesting um, to, to see, you know, uh, that she had those comedy chops that I just did not really know of until I watched um, uh, The Mirror Has Two Faces and then getting to see that she had it all along, you know, early in her career, but we just hadn't really talked to any movies like that that she had done up to that point. So, yeah, uh, yeah she really surprised me in, in being a great uh, a comedic actress. It's certainly an interesting kind of comedy style she's going for in this movie because she is playing ultimately a overbearing mother figure. Yeah, yeah. Um, who is very much the center of attention, very much enjoys being the center of attention, but has that kind of underlying insecurity of please, daughter, don't leave me alone. Yeah. attitude um which she'll never put you know on her actual face she is rather two-faced herself in this movie you know the mirror might have two faces but lauren bacall kind of also has two <laughs> faces in yeah. this movie she plays it really very well there's yeah. dramatic scenes in this movie that she plays really yes. well, obviously mm -hmm. and it is that kind of movie yes you can call it a rom-com but this, to me, doesn't seem to be a rom-com. Yes, it's funny in parts, but it, it's, it seems to just kind of be a pure romance movie. I, I would just, I, I wouldn't call it a rom-com, personally. And that's just my kind of own opinion. It's a romance movie that has very, actually, interesting ideas and explorations yeah. of what love and romance can potentially mean i mean it, it might be over theoretical at times and i think jeff bridges does by the end of the movie come to his senses a bit and realize that you can't really just go through your love life in the way he has perfectly theorized it in his mind yes. it's not you know human beings don't necessarily work like that but the exploration of all his ideas of this non-physical kind of companionship love that means much more to the soul than it does to the body and things yeah. like this. Yeah. And it's it's intellectual, it's soulful, but it's got nothing physical about it whatsoever. Um is is very interesting. At times it's quite compelling it can get you thinking that is this like is, is this actually worth having of course you need a balance of course you need yes. the other side of it that Barbara Streisand really does want but has to maybe compromise yes, a little bit she settles you know and Jeff Bridges kind of comes to his senses to realize that he has to compromise the other way and and you know, actually behave like a human being, not a a robot. It's also a really great mingling and molding of the idea of a a maths person and an English person. And I mean yeah. that in terms of kind of school subjects. I always thought this about your school life and everybody's school life. I think you 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 got people who were really fond of English class. 
and people who were really fond of maths, maths class, math class. And nobody was ever equally fond of both. Nobody. Yeah. Yes. So I think that's a really smart way to play these two characters and just wholly kind of describe them on the surface because they both are professors at Columbia. Uh, Barbara Streisand's character, Rose, she teaches uh, English and uh, Jeff Bridges' character teaches math. So he's very kind of uh, methodical and thoughtful and uh, literal about things and, and yeah, logical very about defined. things. Yes. So that when he does kind of come up with this whole theory of how to be in a relationship with someone without the physical aspect kind of being the torture, um, because he has shown himself to be someone who you know, openly ends up, you know, getting wrapped up in a sexual relationship to his own detriment. He gets used and abused because of the sexual aspect of these relationships. He kind of goes crazy over it and can't focus and doesn't get anything done because he gets wrapped up in the sexual side of the relationship. So that's when he does, you know, his very logical, mathematical mind comes up with this theory that, you know, I think I can have all of the great companionship aspects of a loving, respectful relationship and cut out the physical by being with someone who maybe isn't the you know societal uh look of attractiveness yeah and you know on, on the kind of opposite side of that you do have barbara streisand who is very much all about the feelings all about the emotional the the sudden urge kind of situation who is an um, old romantic herself and, and loves the idea of love Absolutely. I mean, this movie has a lot of fondness, I think, for, for old movie romance as well. Yeah. I think, you know, at, at times you see Barbara Streisand watching It Happen One Night, yeah. for example, and, and things like that. And the movie does seem to be very, very fond of old movie romance, that heightened idea of you know music swelling in the background uh is brought up several times and and jeff bridges can't quite get his head around the idea the, the falsity of music yes. swelling in the background when 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 actors on screen are having a big kiss scene because we don't hear music in the background in real when life we ourselves in yes. real life when we so ourselves he... are, are are doing such things so he in his mathematical mind can't envision these sort of things but obviously Streisand being a, a more emotional analytical person and a more kind of maybe critical thinking sort of person and definitely a, a more metaphorical person is very much into these kind of things it what it's what makes them a really interesting pairing in this movie and I think both of them in terms of performance-wise, I think they're kind of great together. Yeah. I think it's a really good, you know, chemistry performance from the two of them. Quite unusual, because I wouldn't have necessarily put these two people together. And you were speaking about before how Barbara Streisand maybe has gone through these questions you know public questions about what she may look like or what she may act like and, and but this is 1996 this movie and i think it is a it's a remake of a french 
movie or something like that as well. But it, it fits perfectly for Barbara Streisand because really she's been dealing with these kind of things since the very beginning of her career, in like the late 60s. She yeah. was dealing with these kind of unconventional ideas of, you know, physical womanhood. And it's very pigeonhole It's very unpleasant, really, when you get to the be-all and end-all of it. But I think it's what makes her heading a movie like this, and especially her directing a movie like this, being fully aware and being able to flip all those ideas around and show herself and show, I think, the you know, to use a big idea, show the world that it ain't all about what you look like. Jeff Bridges in this movie, his character does have a point to an extent. It is much more about soulful connection, companionship connection, that intellectual kind of molding of, of, of people yeah. that can create what you may consider true love. Yes, it does have to come with a physical side as well. Of course it does. Um, it's nonsense to assume that it doesn't, which is yeah. ultimately what the movie deals with and what the movie's about. But the fact Barbara Streisand can head this movie with those ideas and be very much the physical relationship positive force in this movie, I think is a great thing because she very much is that. She's very um, positive in herself. I think she's very showy in herself, even when she doesn't want to yeah. be when her character. I mean, when a character doesn't maybe want to be, I think she's still very, very open. She's still very, she's not shy. She's not reserved. Jeff Bridges no. is the shy, reserved one. She's very really. much, which is quite unusual. When you, sorry, I'm I'm rambling on, which is quite no. unusual when you consider the pairing of the two of them in the movie. Yeah. Because Jeff Bridges at times looks like Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones. Yes. when he's a teacher, <laughs> he's he's quite strikingly handsome in this movie. It's unusual. Yes, yes. and I, I think she is fully aware that she has a lot to give personality wise she knows she's funny she can be self-deprecating about how she looks because that has been a stigma that she's lived with her sister is very beautiful her mother has always been very beautiful so she you know lives and has accepted almost this ugly duckling look that you know she's you know been uh kind of stuck with um and society has told her that she has uh you know uh, Pierce Brosnan plays a man that she knew and she, you know, was very much kind of had feelings for. Um, and then she introduced him to her sister and then her sister and ultimately marries him. So that's kind of a whole heartbreak issue for her. Um, a but, very unhappy marriage between Pierce yes. Brosnan and, <laughs> and, and Mimi Rogers, who plays her sister. Um, but I love that she is confident enough in her personality, in herself, that she can be very, you know, funny and comical and, and fully just 
give her personality out and, and not be introverted and shy. But when it comes to how she looks, she just kind of has to joke about that as well and not really think too deep about it because it is a, a touchy subject for her. But in every other avenue, she's so very much confident and fully herself. Yeah, in, in look, it is it is a touchy subject because really it's quite clear that Lauren Bacall, especially, you know, her mother has constantly put pressure on her to look certain ways in certain situations and they seem quite a you know a, a fairly well-to-do family unit you know that there, there's events and, and fancy things they kind of frequent Bacall always makes sure she's dressed to the nines Mimi Rogers always makes sure she's dressed to the nines yes and I Stratton mean doesn't care no, doesn't she doesn't want to dress up. She doesn't want to wear makeup. Or if she's wearing makeup, people are telling her, why didn't you wear makeup? And she's like, I am wearing makeup. Uh, yeah. Kind of situation, like the whole thing. There's a whole scene with Mimi Rogers' wedding to Pierce Brosnan. Um, and Mimi Rogers is kind of giving this whole monologue to her sister, uh, Barbara Strikes and Rose, um, that you know the mom better not come to the wedding showboating or showing off or or forgetting that it's not her day. And sure enough, Lauren Bacall shows up, and you know she's wearing this coat, and she drops the coat. She's wearing this fancy out glittery outfit, and you know Mimi Rogers has to give her this stern talking to to remind her this is not your day this is my day if you ruin this for me you know i will blow up your driver's license <laughs> as like a big postage card for everyone to see how old you really are and and so it's this very much antagonistic relationship between all of them uh particularly when it comes to uh you know attention and, and things yeah. like that and rose is has been put into in this position between these two gorgeous women from society standards to just kind of sink into the background it's really quite sad at times and it's what makes the more the, the quieter more dramatic scenes particularly between streisand and bacall really quite effective later yeah. on in the movie where they actually do open up in a, in a real emotional sense to each other and Bacall gets to show what she's always been capable of a, a certain vulnerability within herself a, a face of supreme confidence but a yeah. vulnerability behind all that yeah. and you know whether it's in 1946 or 1996 she's able to convey yeah. that and I really like that about what she does in those few scenes in this movie slightly later on where Streisand and, and Jeff Bridges are married now and you know they're together now they're they're having their non-physical companionship marriage between the two of them Barbara Streisand has left Lauren Bacall her mother alone in her home and it's kind of it's playing on Bacall it's clearly something that she never wanted to happen she obviously loves her daughters but there's that front she always puts on to almost in a way to try and get them to stay in her life yeah because she needs them but doesn't want to just actually outright say that or ask. Open yeah. Up yeah about that so when she does 
it's really effective. It's really, it's a really great little quiet scene and a necessary scene because it's all those ideas. I think this movie's full of the presentation of ideas that takes one scene to dissect and then you result in whether it's a compromise or whether it is a, a flip of those original ideas. I think that happens in the relationship between Bacall and her daughters. And I think it obviously certainly happens in the central romantic relationship. You're presented with the original idea of the non-physical companion-based marriage yeah. that they ultimately end up with. And it plays on particularly Streisand for long enough and long enough to the point where she one day kind of says to Jeff Bridges, because Jeff Bridges has been, or in the past he said, um, you know, if, if ever you do want any sort of physical attention, give me some warning and I may be able to, um, you know, fulfill that uh, desire. He's yes. very well spoken in this movie. Actually, yes, Jeff he's Bridges. very kind of official about everything. Uh, and, and yeah, so then this evening when she does mention to him that she would like to uh, partake in some sex that evening, he does kind of have to work his, himself up to it. Um, he panics, Janine. Yes, he does. Uh, so she, you know, very much, you know, is putting on beautiful lingerie and playing music and lighting candles. And ultimately, you know, she, you know, goes in for a kiss and he he's kind of fighting her a little bit. But then also he starts kind of giving in. And so you see that despite his best efforts to pick somebody who's not conventionally attractive for this whole little uh, theory that he's working through. Um, he does end up finding himself very attracted to Rose um, in this moment, but he's so committed to this logical experiment that he's doing that he he ultimately rejects her. And, and so this is the exact of... point in the movie that I went, for God's sake, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, yes. Sort <laughs> yourself out. Man. Yes. Well, I mean, just to get into the general premise of the film, 30 minutes in, um, we have Jeff Bridges, this professor who, you know, is very much uh, very logical mathematics teacher, very boring, uh, but wholly attractive. We see students whispering about him in the class that he's very attractive. Um and he has been burned by sexual relationships. He gets, you know, caught up in a sexual relationship with a partner and ultimately gets used, abused, and dumped. So he is done with physical relationships. He ultimately also starts seeing uh, society telling him uh, about beauty standards as kind of a manipulation. So, you know, commercials selling perfume and, uh, you know, 1-800 numbers and, uh, yeah. you know, even nature channels, like, are selling you this idea of love and sex and, and what is attractive. And so he kind of sees, ends up seeing it all as a big manipulation. So he's kind of done with all of it. And this is how he comes up with this theory of crafting a relationship with someone based on respect and friendship and, um, 
no physical kind of connection. Uh, and, and so he puts this ad out uh, to find somebody who can partake in this relationship with him without any kind of physical thing. Uh, Claire, Mimi Rogers' uh, character, sees this, and, and obviously thinks Rose is perfect for it, so then submits uh, a reply to the ad in Rose's name. And ultimately, that's how they end up meeting. They He kind of tells her a bit of his theory, um, and she ultimately agrees to kind of go along with it. And they end up spending a lot of time together, dating for several months, kind of building this relationship and friendship. And then they ultimately get married and, and get themselves in this whole kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, it's a really nice build of a relationship between yeah. the two of them. It, it seems, you know, for the first half of this movie that, you know, you're sat there thinking, hmm, maybe, maybe they've got an idea going on here. This looks quite nice, this. What if, what if we could just forget about the physical side? I mean, we can't. We're human beings, of course. Yes, but... and I think we're all like Rose, because I think Rose ultimately thinks, okay, well, once he gets to know me, I know I am a great person. I know I'm funny. I know I'm kind. I know I'm smart. I know I can keep up good conversation. Um, I know I have a lot to offer somebody. So I think if we use this non-physical time to get to know each other, he'll get past this whole idea and maybe, you know, drop this whole kind of non-physical uh uh, condition to this relationship and she ultimately believes as maybe we believe that he'll ultimately uh want to be with her in that way once he, he gets to yeah. know her and he almost As does but he's so committed to this experiment that he he ultimately fails yeah. in in and, in uh, yeah and this is this scene we've just been talking about i mean i did want to bring up his kind of best friend fellow professor george siegel, george siegel yeah. in this movie as well who is a little bit of a i mean he's not quite a womanizer but he's very no but it's a, a very, it's a very fun running gag with this character every time we see him he's with some new young different blonde girl that he wasn't yeah. with before yeah he's just he's he's very much the opposite of jeff bridges mentality in this movie Gregory, as Jeff Bridges' character is called. Yes. Um, where George Siegel will just kind of... He's very lustful. He's very physical in, in terms of his attraction and people's attraction towards him. And it's all based on kind of a, a charisma, a charm, yes. that kind of attitude. But he's, and he's it plays also... really well with Jeff yes. Bridges again. It really Yes, does. and and there's a bit of jealousy on the other side of that spectrum because um, George Siegel's character very much sees the emotional relationship between Rose and, and uh, Gregory and he, and that they can talk and communicate and she gets his jokes and she gets all, you know, his math theories and he can talk to her about all the boring things that people think are boring, but she's actually interested by them. And so George Siegel very much kind of gets jealous that he is with these vapid young girls that he can't have those kind of deeper conversations with. So kind of juxtaposing the two of them and, you know, their mentalities on relationships, I think is really interesting. And ultimately in the end enhances uh, how Gregory views his relationship with Rose. Um, yeah. When, when George Siegel ultimately admits that he 
is kind of sick of dating these girls who he can't really hold a conversation with. There's a lot there's a lot of that going on in this movie. You know, you feel like there's there's a pretty healthy supporting cast outside of your two leads, obviously, with Bacall, with George Siegel, with Mimi Rogers and Pierce Brosnan, with even is it Brenda Vaccaro who plays yeah, who plays Rose's, Rose's friend. best friend. So, like, even you know, we got this really good energy of the two of them at the wedding. They're kind of in the corner and just eating and people watching and kind of lamenting, you know, the state of their lives not really being the attractive ones, just kind of being the wallflower girls. And and so um, at a certain point in the film, uh, Rose decides, you know, after she gets rejected by Gregory, he ends up going on a book tour out of the country. And so she kind of stops talking to him and kind of gets this motivation to try, you know, because she's been living with this incredibly attractive mother and sister all her life and has kind of been uh, pushed, you know, back and, and, and kind of become contented with being invisible. After Gregory rejects her, she ultimately kind of gets this second win to, you know what, I'm going to put some effort into me and love myself and and make myself feel beautiful. So then she, you know, kind of has this whole makeover for herself. And, and so then her friend Brenda uh, ultimately feels kind of like she's been left behind like you were the dumpy frumpy one in the corner with me and now look at you you're like this gorgeous thing I don't know if I can keep up you know you made me feel okay about my position in life and now that you look like this I, I don't know what to do so I, that's also kind of another interesting layer of, of of how we see each other and how we view beauty um that that was thrown in there as well yeah, and but this is this is what I wanted to say about this supporting cast is that I think it's it's quite you know there's there's quite a lot of moving parts there, yeah. but every little other person's story or, or way of thinking or ideas that they bring to this movie have some sort of impact on our lead two characters they are not stories on their own they're not just b and c plots for the sake of being b and c plots everything is centered around the two leads and these you know supporting players come in to just kind of throw different mentalities different ways of thinking into our two leads minds to build their own relationship with each other and to have them have all these different thoughts about their own relationship between each other it's the perfect way of doing a supporting cast and having a movie or a story where it actually feels necessary for a lot of different characters to actually be there and yeah. be influential and look, I always think of the two-hour romance 90s movies as being movies that are paced a certain way that I maybe don't love all the time because there, there occasionally seems to be, you know, you take 25 minutes of the movie to do something that ultimately at the end of the movie doesn't feel relevant to what yeah. you've you know saw 40 minutes ago like why did we go on that random trip to somewhere with random people 
did it really matter? Yeah. Ultimately, perhaps not. And you feel like those kind of things do tend to happen in this era and this genre of movies. And, you know, you could say that about Jeff Bridges' book tour to Paris or wherever he goes in this movie. You, you could have that idea. But the fact our supporting cast actually continue to influence the central relationship and the central relationship is always the focus and it does never feel dragged out. It really does never feel like any time is wasted because of the impact everybody has and the impact all the different scenes has. There's nothing here that that feels unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, it, it's not nice to think of things as feeling unnecessary because there's always a reason that, you know, the filmmakers have put things into to get the movie. It's just whether... Point a to B, yeah. Yeah, it's just whether that can easily come across in a movie. And I just think for me, in The Mirror Has Two Faces, all those ideas that Streisand was, was putting into this movie ultimately do come across yes the support you know with the supporting players with the what you would perhaps consider b and c plots because there isn't really a b and c plot they're just a adjacent that they're, they're, they're always a adjacent that they're, they're always there's one central story and 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 that's just what i need i think from these kind of movies yes. it's why i always have this not issue issues the wrong word but it's why i always have this mentality towards 90s romance movies that they're too long yes i mean and what you're saying about the supporting characters they are there to enhance the messages that are happening with the lead characters in the lead story um and, and just to kind of bounce off what you were saying about how these movies kind of do things that seemingly ultimately end up not meaning much um whereas this film really kind of hits those same kind of plot beats that your typical rom-com would hit you know you have your yeah. meet cute you have them falling in love or getting to know each other you have your conflicting event that keeps them apart and then ultimately by the end they come back together that's typically the, the yeah. beats of every rom-com but this film has some really interesting layers and messages about beauty and how people view themselves and, and and some really interesting ideas about relationships and sex and the physical aspect and the emotional aspect. And because you're working with such interesting, rich and relatable um, themes, you're left with something, yeah. you know, beyond just your typical rom-com plot so it is your typical beats of a rom-com but it's doing so many interesting things thematically that it leaves you with uh some really great things to think about yeah you, you don't feel like an observer you don't feel distanced from this movie you know you don't feel like you're watching someone else's relationship even though you obviously are yeah because it's quite uh weirdly philosophical movie and really yes. does make you kind of think and is really quite intellectual in that way it just captures you it grabs hold of you it drags you into itself and has you feeling all the emotions that 
your lead characters are feeling because you you yourself are thinking about the same relationship ideas that they are thinking about at the same time they are thinking about them. Yes. Whether it's in your own life, whether you're single, married, divorced, whatever, you you know, you are thinking about those things in the same beats that Streisand and Bridges are thinking about them. And that's what's great about this movie. That layered yes. aspect that you've just mentioned, just the fact it isn't surface level romance it is really deep interesting storytelling idea based romance and i can't quite remember seeing you know not for a long time a a romance movie that actually deals with the ideas of love quite this well like you feel like it's always you know it, it Romance movies maybe have their own personal idea. You know, each individual one, I mean, maybe has its own personal idea of its own version of, of love, its own version of romance, yeah. and sticks with it. But this one, because you're dealing with characters that are professors, you're dealing with theoretical or theoretical-minded characters, you find it bouncing around between hmm, does this work? Does this work? Maybe this works. I have a theory that this works. What is the conclusion? It's a scientific experiment on love, which yes. is fascinating. Yes. And, and like going off of kind of what you said about being able to relate to these characters and what they're going through, like I always find myself relating to characters like Rose because I felt like that kind of wallflower and, you know, people were always prettier than me and the guys that I liked didn't like me back. They always liked my friends or somebody else. And so I've already kind of invested in rose as a person because i always felt like that person who had the great personality who could make people laugh and you know had something to offer but was always passed over because there was always somebody prettier in the room so i felt that so i immediately was already drawn to that character of rose um so to see her evolve and find her own self-worth and confidence and and you know want more for herself um beyond kind of uh, what people were telling her she should want uh, was a really kind of empowering thing to see. Again, just playing into the great themes that this movie is giving us. And and then going back to what we were talking about before, just Barbara Streisand directing this movie and, and maybe in some way relating that to what she's had to go through with her career and people telling her she wasn't pretty enough by, you know, those conventional standards and some of that playing into to the themes as well, I think is really, yeah. really interesting. And look, those scenes again that we've spoke about with her and Bacall and that shouting scene that Mimi Rogers has at the <clears> beginning <throat> of the movie to Lauren Bacall, they can't have been easy to do because you're dealing with Lauren Bacall yes, here. And you're yeah. having to question Lauren Bacall and, and get angry at Lauren Bacall. You couldn't do that. Yeah, no, like she is so very humble. I, yes, I, I watched her Golden Globe speech and she was very much like, you know, I'm just so happy to have this honor. Like it's been a long time coming. Like I've been in this game for a while and to have this happen, you know, now is very special. And she thanks Barbara Streisand and the whole cast. And she very much 
took this as such a big honor to be in this movie and to play this part and and was very proud of it and very much feeling like this was kind of a great cap on her career, the way she talked about it in that speech. So uh, yeah, I I can't imagine that it was easy for these actors to, to act against her, but the fact that she kind of felt the opposite, that she was kind of honored to have this experience, I I think really um, played into her just being incredible in this role. I feel like that's an idea we're going to, come back to throughout this series yes (laughs) is the potential difficulty of acting against legends of the game yeah you know it, it, it can be the same in anything whether it's acting music sports anything like that you can be starstruck to a certain extent even as an actor musician sports person yourself you can be Star Trek if you come up against or play alongside somebody you idolize. Yeah. A, a famed, notable, no, you know, notable figure from decades ago, ultimately. It can be quite daunting. So, you know, full credit to everybody for not just going... Sorry, Miss Bacall. Sorry, I didn't mean to shout. You know, and just going like that because that's what I would do. Yes. In these so the sort fact of situations. These, yeah, the fact that these actors have whole confidence, you know, kind of sharing these scenes with her, it feels so natural. But you know, I, I would be incredibly nervous to share a screen with her. Um, I, and I sure, know- we're not talking about we're not talking about you know debutants in movies here. We're talking about Jeff Bridges, who had been acting since the late sixties, and and Barbara Streisand, who had been acting and performing since the late sixties, yeah, as well. So so we're not talking about children here acting yeah. alongside <laughs> somebody like Lauren Bacall. Um, but you know that generational thing can I think can come into play and can can make movies like this or, or or you know where you do find old hollywood actors in the new as we or whatever phrasing we're actually using <laughs> to call this series it's what makes them feel kind of special because you are very much it feels like honoring and respecting those that came before which is very very important Yes, and she gives her a lot to do. Um, we've talked about a lot of the, the the comedic scenes and also alluded to some of the dramatic scenes she has. She has a really beautiful scene near the end of the film uh, where uh, Rose is still not feeling wholly beautiful and she's sitting at the kitchen table with her mother and, you know, Rose is kind of talking about how beautiful her mother is and there, there's a conversation where she even asks her mom, how did it feel? to be beautiful because I don't know what that feels like and and the honesty uh, of Lauren Bacall to tell her you know it felt great it felt incredible and they're sitting in another scene where they're sitting across from the kitchen table from each other and uh she tells her you know Rose, your father, everyone said you looked like your father and that Claire looked like me. Um, But your father adored you. Like he did not adore Claire the way he adored you. Like I think, you know, he always wanted to be holding you and you were his favorite thing ever. And um, 
she hands her a baby picture and she says, oh, yes, Claire, look at those eyes. Claire was so gorgeous. And her mother tells her, no, that's you. And then just the shock in Rose's voice when she's like, that's me. Like, I was beautiful. And so for her to kind of see that she was beautiful once, you know, and it just kind of breaks your heart that she never saw herself that way. And to to then just to hold on to a moment where she sees herself as beautiful at one time in her life, it is kind of this miracle thing for her. It's really kind of heartbreaking that no one ever inherently made her feel that way her whole yeah. life. That she kind of just holds on to seeing this baby picture of a beautiful baby and, and that realization that it's her it is like this amazing thing to her. I would like to point out that, you know, these emotional conversations are being held in a room that has several headshot pictures of 40s Lawrence yeah, <laughs> in it that are decidingly sultry looking and just the most ultimate pictures of Bacall you could ever wish for. And she's sat there in the middle of it all going, no, yes, you're, you're very beautiful. Look at this beautiful baby picture sat around, you know, literal images of phenomenal yes classic beauty. and the confidence of her to to not shy away from that at all when her daughter asks her how does no. it feel how did it feel to be beautiful and she's like it felt incredible it felt great it was such a good feeling um and so then when <clears throat> rose kind of goes through her whole makeover <clears throat> after gregory rejects her he's away um she's not speaking to him because he genuinely hurt her in that moment because she decides to kind of leave him for a bit um you know she goes to the gym and starts working out she starts doing her makeup she gets her hair done and so when gregory finally comes back she's looking like a smoke show like tight dresses and you know looking it's, great it's almost like it's almost like um uh, sandy at the end of greece yeah had had she done it for herself and not for Travolta. Um, and Gregory's reaction to her is kind of not great. Not great. It's not great. <laughs> no. It's not. It's, it's not great. Look, let, let's let's talk a little bit about Jeff Bridges a, a bit more in this movie because I think this is a really unusual role and performance from Jeff Bridges. Yes. Because I I, I don't lie when I say he looks like. Harrison Ford as Indiana he Jones does. when he's no, a teacher. He's, he's very attractive in this movie. <laughs> it, it it seems like something that Harrison Ford would have played. Yes. Maybe around this time as well. Like you could have seen something like that from from a Harris from a mid-90s Harrison Ford. And it's never something I associate with Jeff Bridges. He's either kind of rebellious even even obviously when he's younger in his earlier movies he's kind of rebellious and, and kind of drifter rascal kind of thing yeah and certainly when he's older he just becomes kind of grizzled uh kind of stroll around <laughs> um sit there and be notoriously marble-mouthed 
which yeah. where was that in this movie? No, he didn't. I've have never that. heard Jeff Bridges speak so eloquently in my entire life. I never thought I could hear Jeff Bridges <laughs> speak as eloquently as he speaks in this movie. I don't know how much vocal therapy he had to go to. No, he had very he had he like today he has very much marbled gummy speech. But this but movie did he, he not have that in the 90s as well? He did uh, to an extent. To an extent, this movie yeah. just not at all. Gets rid of it all. Yes, yes. It wasn't uh, Jeff Bridges in front of me. It was some sort of parallel universe Jeff Bridges, where all of a sudden he's remarkably good looking and can speak like a professor. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yet it makes perfect sense because it makes us realize that Jeff Bridges is much more than the pigeonholes we put him in yes no he is a great rom romance lead, romantic lead in this film um i love the scene when because we have rose kind of say earlier in the film like she's very simple she just wants someone who understands her and and, and you know remembers these little nuances about her like what kind of toothpaste she uses and stuff like that so when we have these moments of gregory remembering these little things um you know they're out on a dinner date and he remembers that she doesn't like pepper and she just wants a big side of dressing for her salad and she is very much like a perfect bite person so she will take her time and cut up her food in little pieces to get the perfect bite and will arrange it on her fork just so and she will rotate her plate and cut it a certain way and take things out and so he there's a whole scene where he is going through it with her as she's kind of doing her whole little ritual. And he's talking about it and he's telling her, I think I've gotten your sequence down. You turn the plate such and such way. You remove the unwanted elements. You do this and then you create the perfect bite, which is my favorite part. And so, and she's just beaming because, you know, it, it's the moment where you think <clears throat> maybe there's something to his theory because they've really developed this strong respectful uh friendship and relationship that he is noticing these sweet little nuances about her and he is really appreciating them and enjoying them and loving these little cute things about her and, and um so you think for a second maybe there is something to his theory in those moments and then when the physical kind of debacle happens uh that that's and what you realize no all just a bunch of nonsense <laughs> like there yeah. needs to be that balance um so I it, think it is really a real great. debacle as well it is one of the most it's one of the most um no that's the wrong word what word am i trying to think of it's one of the most un that's the this is a weird way of phrasing it but i'll try and explain it's one of the most unsatisfying sex scenes i've ever watched in my entire <laughs> life yeah because it does not go anywhere and right as though it looks like it's going to go somewhere, Jeff Bridges panics, convulses, and just says, no, I can't do it I anymore. can't do it, and runs to the bathroom and leaves her on the floor. Um, she ultimately is embarrassed and feeling rejected and um, ultimately kind of locks herself in the bathroom. And then that night she sneaks away and goes back home to her mother um, and doesn't speak to him for a good chunk of time while he's away. Yeah. And um, that's when she kind of does her own kind of makeover for herself. And it's just so even... stupid from Jeff Bridges because we've seen him 
And this is where, you know, that little side plot of, of George Siegel and his pre, you know, Jeff Bridges' previous relationship, Elle McPherson, I think it is, coming back into it and kind of taking advantage of him. We've seen him be a sexual being. Yes. Ultimately, in the movie. So we don't view him as a prude. We yes. don't view him as a, you know, a, a stiff kind of terrified figure see him being ridiculously committed to this stupid experiment that he's created yeah, because it's very so much annoying. very much we see him returning her kisses and getting all into the moment and holding her and grabbing her and wanting her and then ultimately saying no 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 i can't i can't and so that's when she just feels so dejected and rejected and terrible and um that's when we get kind of other our side characters as you mentioned coming into play with Alex Pierce Brosnan's character as I mentioned he was somebody that she knew and had a friendship with and had an attraction to and introduced him to her at the time married sister thinking that that would be safe only for her sister to divorce her husband and then ultimately marry Alex which was Rose's crush um and she doesn't even like she doesn't even like like the night of the wedding she's running off with some other guys she's annoyed that he wants to have lunch with her and he hangs out with her and he watches her sleep and he's so attentive he's very much like golden retriever energy and claire hates it yeah she's just kind of done with him and um I, it's very heartbreaking these scenes where he's being very sweet to rose in a lot of moments and she kind of tells him to stop. And like, for whatever reason, he doesn't realize that she has had these feelings for him and him just being overly nice to her and overly sweet to her and telling her how great she is, is hurting her because, you know, she's had these feelings and him just playing into that is hurting her even more. So then when she does um, kind of have her big makeover moment and things aren't working out between Alex and Claire, now he wants Rose. And Rose, yeah. you know, things aren't working out, obviously, with Rose and, and Gregory. So she kind of plays into Alex wanting her, and it makes her feel beautiful, and it makes her feel good. And she talks about imagining this moment with Alex, who's kissing her and telling her she's beautiful, and that he thinks he loved her all along, and he just didn't realize it. And then her having this aha moment that you know what that makes no sense like i was here i'm still the same person i just look different and now you think you're in love with me and so her still having that conviction and um you know that self-respect to not just fall into what comes with beauty you know she has this beautiful exterior now but she's still the same person and she still um doesn't want some kind of hollow thing that's going to make her feel beautiful but not be real so i love that she I, still has those ideals even though she's getting the thing that she thought she always wanted she she realizes she still wants more and i think that's the moment where us as an audience realize that you do need both you need that person who loves you to see you as attractive and beautiful and as a sexual being but they also need to have this respect for you and and understand all your little quirks and love all of those things about you and have this kind of great friendship as well so i think in the moment that she has with alex and comes to this self-realization is where us as, as a viewer really realize that um 
both of them kind of were missing an element and they need to kind of bring those two elements together. Absolutely. 100%. Because how tough it must be for Rose to go through all that with Pierce Brosnan, having been so attracted to Pierce Brosnan, but to have that realization of, you know, I'm no different to what I used to be. I just look different. This is actually fake. That's a tough, tough thing to try and grasp your head around. Yeah. Because what do you let take over in your mind at that point? And thankfully and reasonably, she allows intelligent thought to take over rather than just pure lust because she could just have Pierce Brosnan right there and then yeah. all day and all night if she wanted to. And he would want that as well. That's the yes. point. Yeah. He wants that at that point. Because well. of how she looks now, yeah. Yeah. But it's it's such a kind of emotionally intelligent thing to do. Yeah. To take a step back, go, wait a minute, this isn't quite right, let's not do this. My biggest crush ever, let's yeah. not do this. Yeah. I couldn't do something like that if somebody <laughs> came up. Not a chance, I don't think, unless yes. I was feeling particularly um, emotional at that, yes. particular, that particular day. Um, it's it's really interesting and ultimately it works for the movie because Jeff Bridges does come back from his book tour and starts doing his best John Cusack in Say Anything impression or Marlon Brando in Street Car Named Desire impression and shouting at the bottom of the window. Well, yes. I mean, once he realizes, you know, Rose comes back as all attractive and he feels like it's a betrayal to their arrangement and he kind of, it, yeah. you know, says all the wrong things. And she's like, well, if you don't care about appearance, which was your whole thing, what d difference does it make if I have this appearance? And he thinks she's playing into the manipulations that society is telling us what beauty should be. Instead of him realizing, no, I just want to look beautiful for me. I'm just doing this for myself. And if you like it, then that's great. But the fact that he can't see past that is ultimately what has her just be done with him. And then he falls into this funk where he's calling her all the time. And the mother's telling him, no, leave her alone. She's with Alex now. And, um, she's, you know, really <laughs> no, <laughs> but you know, the mother's, telling him just to leave her alone his apartment is a wreck and he goes to george siegel and tells him you know i thought this would work um but rose is great like i and then he kind of comes to the realization that i love rose i'm in love with her i loved her personality and she made me laugh and she was funny and i found her to actually be really beautiful and attractive and he realizes he is physically attracted to her too and finally comes to that admittance and realization and so that's when we get to our kind of say anything shouting outside her window moment yeah i've just realized that i made that beat become John Cusack in Say Anything or Marlon Brando in, in Street Can in Desire and completely forgot about the origins of that whole thing, which is obviously Romeo and Juliet yes. being at the foot of a window. <laughs> so forgive me for that Layers. one, for not Layers. going all the way all back. 
Yes. Um, and so ultimately we have our kind of big romantic thing. And I love that she is able to kind of get him to say what he means because he is very analytical and thoughtful. And so he'll ramble on and she just says, talk to me, like just spit it out. Like, you know, and she can get him to, to kind of concise things down to, to to the point of something um, because that is this rapport that they've built up with each other. And so I love that, you know, we've seen her kind of do it throughout the film, even in these great moments where she's showing him how to be more natural in, in teaching his class because he's so boring in class. And so we see this great scene of him, you know, wearing more casual clothes and being really natural and funny and, and engaging the class because of what she showed him. And so in relating everything scene, to baseball. Yeah. And so, and even her teaching him about baseball and, and um, him kind of getting into it because, you know, there's a lot of statistics and math kind of involved yeah. with baseball, which he enjoys. So um, that, those kind of little things that she's shown him and that, and how she kind of relates to him and talks to him and gets him to kind of be at ease in, in getting to the point of something and seeing that kind of called back here in this final moment and him finally getting to the point of him just saying that he loves her. Um, and, and just the, com- the, the comedic nature of, you know, um, people in the buildings getting annoyed and saying shut up and yeah <laughs> um but ultimately you know we you mentioned the whole running theme of conversations about music never swelling in real life when you have these moments and when once they get to the I love you's and the kiss some guy in his window is watching them and he decides to play some romantic music so they're kind of looking around like what where is this music coming I mean, from not just romantic music but Ness and Dorma of all things, which yes. is just the most bombastic, swelling, yes, ridiculously operatic, operatic yeah. song possible, yeah. is played at the very end of this movie. You get a freeze-frame ending of the two of them kissing to this monstrous music going on. After saying I love you, it is the most yes. heightened <laughs> falsity idea of movie love possible the it's the exact kind of, kind of yes thing. the fact that they are playing up the, the the falsity of that and then this movie does it i think it was a very intentional thing on the part of Barbara course Trice. it That's was also love the kind of final moment of lauren bacall where you know when he's telling her you know he's he's kind of giving his whole declaration and he's like i know you're with alex now and this and this and that she's like alex i'm not with alex who said i was with alex and he's like your mother and then they both look up at the window and she just closes the blind like it wasn't me (laughs) sorry literally just like homers into the bushes putting the blinds down like uh," which was really cute so I like that she got yeah. a kind of little final moment, but yes. But no, I I I I love that that is the end of this movie because yeah. it's treated itself in all these precise ways throughout yeah. it, all these theoretical ways throughout it, but ultimately ends with what Streisand was talking about before the pure, ultimately fictitious feeling emotion of absolute out-of-body love with massive music played in the background that's just a freeze-frame memory. And that's yes. how the movie ends. It's it's yeah. a great, great ending 
to this movie. It's a really, really wonderful romance movie. Yes, I and think. I just want to, I just want to throw out there that yes, if you are watching the scenes of her teaching in her classroom, one of her students is Eli Roth, who's just there in the class. It is. So. Yes, that was <laughs> <Random>. odd. <laughs> yeah. Very random. Yeah. Very random. Like completely in the background. Like clearly before he was anything at all. Yes. Way before he was anything at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, very yeah, strange to just romance. see yeah. a notable face as you're scrolling through a classroom. Yeah. <laughs> yes, a really, really great movie. A great way to start off 2024. Not just on Morgan Hasn't Seen, but on It's a Wonderful Podcast entirely. It's the first thing yes. we've done this yes. year, this show, Janine. And I know we're not a few days into the year <laughs> yet, but it's a very good way to start and a great start to the old Hollywood meets new series, which yes. of course is taking over both shows technically, because we are on Friday talking How to Marry a Millionaire from 1953 for the main show celebrating that old movie there. But next week is a big one. Because it's episode 250 of Morgan Hasn't Seen. We're getting to, to milestone territory again. We're not too far off episode 300 of the main show either. So we have that coming up pretty soon. Yeah. But next week we have a nice special planned. So this series will be, will be taking a break next week. Starting up again the week after. And then finishing out from there. But... Uh, special 250th episode of Morgan Hasn't Seen is coming next week. Please keep an eye out for that. And unless we have anything else to say, Janine, are we going to call this there? We are going to bacall this there. To bacall this there, I love it. <laughs> yes, with our Lauren Bacall Week kickoff. <laughs> yes, Lauren Bacall Week, what a great way to start the year that is do subscribe to this podcast feed wherever you are listening for morgan hasn't seen and it's a wonderful podcast and more again to come in the 2024 surely surely there certainly will be um apple podcast spotify all those places all, all the all the notable ones if you are on spotify answer those questions that we put in the uh, in the little description of the episode leave the ratings reviews wherever you are subscribe ding your notification bell on the it's a wonderful podcast youtube channel as well for all the fun stuff we have over there if you would like to support us on patreon or donate in any way uh, find the links for that in the description as well if you are feeling particularly generous, we would love you forever. Yeah. Or, of course, you can just find us on social media, on Twitter, at It's a Wonderful One. Find me on Twitter, at The Purple Dawn, with a three instead of the E and the because, Jenny. Three is the magic number. On Instagram, TikTok, and threads, at The Purple Dawn. All your becalling is well. <laughs> You can find me at Janine DeBean underscore on Twitter, Janine DeBean on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the description for the link. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. 
Well, there we go. I mean, it's unfair to do a marble-mouthed Jeff Bridges impression because he I was just so impressed. No, he did, did not have marble mouth in this movie. No, in his vocal skills in this movie. No. I don't quite know who to do an impression of. Do you, do you fancy singing a Barbara Streisand oh, song? Oh, my gosh. No, no, I cannot. I cannot compare well, to Miss Streisand. Well, then do whatever you wish because I can't <laughs> think of anything at all. <laughs> Three, two, one. Oh, that was quite sultry and the cold. Yes, yeah. That's what I was going for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. Bye. Bye.